The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his, son's, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Can we pray together? Father, Lord, we want to thank you for waking us up. We want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to hear your word, the opportunity to wrestle with our hearts, to empower our spirit. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, for what he has done on the cross. Lord, we pray for uh, Randall, um, for the Spirit to lead him so that he can uh, spread your gospel, Lord. Lord, I pray for our hearts to be ready, our ears to be ready to listen. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Uh, Let us be a people of God, willing and loving the gospel. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, thanks, Ryan. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? You awake? All right. Um, well, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, and I'm lead pastor here at Grace City. And uh, I just want to welcome you if this is your first time. You know, uh, jumping in, this is our first 9 o'clock service where we're doing it consistently. We've done it in the past before, but this is the first time we've done it, we're doing it consistently. And so I just want to start out by just saying thank you to the volunteers who came this morning, because they came at 6.30 in the morning to come set up for this service. So can we give them a clap? Yeah. So I'm very thankful for them, and I'm thankful for you being here this morning. Uh, We're going to continue in our series called The Gospel in Genesis. And so we've been going through the book of Genesis, and whether you've grown up in church or not, you've probably heard uh, of the book of Genesis, because this is the beginning, this is the start to the Bible. And so we've been talking about not just the, the Genesis story, but that there's good news threaded throughout the beginning and throughout the whole Bible. And so that's what the gospel means. It's good news. And uh, today we're looking at the life of Abraham. Now, again, you've probably, uh, whether growing up in church or not, probably heard of Abraham because Abraham is connected to most of every major religion in the world. 
Abraham is a very important figure, not only for Christians, but many other faiths. And so for us, what does it look like as Christians to look at the life of Abraham? Now, we're going to start out in Genesis 11, 27 through 12, 4, because that's where we are introduced to Abraham in uh, the, the Bible. And, and here's the message today. It's this, the, the call of God, the call of God. Today, we're talking about calling. And so what is calling? You know, so, some of you have probably heard celebrities or different people talk about their calling in life. But what does it mean for a Christian to be called? Well, Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, says this. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. To have a calling in life is to have something where you believe that God, something greater than yourself, has called you to do something in this world. See, a common question I get many times is this. What is God's will for my life? Why am I here? Some of you may have asked, do I have a purpose in life? And whether you believe in God or not today, we all need to have purpose. Psychiatrist and Holocaust sur survivor Viktor Frankl once wrote in his 1963 book, Man's Search for Meaning, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. See, what is it with our society today? What is it that we struggle with in our culture many of us would point back to a lack of meaning and purpose because study after study shows that we all need it. And so how do we get it? Well, again, in this series, we're looking at the life of Abram, um, and he starts out as Abram, which means father. But he eventually becomes Abraham, which means father of many. You see, when the call of God comes on his life, something radically different happens. He is transformed. He is changed. And his story, to many of us, is, is attractive. It's inspiring. Because deep down, don't you want a big life, a life of meaning and purpose like Abraham? So how do we get it? Well, the more we study, the more we see that this story isn't about Abraham figuring out his life and just becoming this, this heroic figure. That's not what this is. Because what we see many times in, in the Bible is honest about all the characters in Scripture, is very honest about him, is that he falls short in many ways. He falls short. He stumbles all throughout the book where you'll be disappointed with Abram. You'll be very disappointed with him. See, here's what it's about. It's about God being the hero. And it's, God's call, it's, it's, it says God's call comes into his life. That's what makes Abraham great. That's what makes him great. You see, it's the call that gave his life meaning. And so let me ask, do you know your meaning in life? Have you heard the call? I listened to a Q talk entitled On Calling, Ambition, and Surrender by Pete Richardson. And he has done life planning with over a thousand people. 
And he was asked, do you believe that everyone has a calling? Here's what he says. He says, we have to define calling. The way I define it and see it in scripture, calling. In its simplest definition is, what does God want me to do with the talents he has invested in me? So if I look at calling from a very creative perspective, God, as this great creator, 7.4 billion people and counting, does he have the capacity to invest unique clumps of talent in each person? Yes, calling is for everyone. It's not just for a few. How many people go to their grave and actually discover it? That's a very small percentage. A very small percentage. And so again, today, do you know your meaning in life? Do you, do you have purpose? Our text is Genesis eleven twenty seven through 12, 4. And, and here's the setting. You know, it'd be easy to jump into Genesis 12, 1 through 4, but we got to start with Genesis eleven twenty seven because here's what it tells us. It tells us that humanity is on a downward spiral because of the effects of sin. See, we saw again, we, we just talked about Noah. We just talked about this, sec, this, this new beginning, this fresh start. But now we get all the way to the, the story of Noah ending and now into Genesis 11 and 12. And we find that humanity, again, is in this place where it's spiraling downward because of sin. All of human history had reached this dilemma because the only ones with the knowledge of the true God are about to die out. I mean, look at verse 30. It says that Sarai was barren. She had no child. And so here's what's happening. This is the setting. This was the last family on earth that knew about the one true God. And here's what they were doing. God calls them out and they start going. But verse 31 says this, they settled there. Look at it. It says, verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They, they st- so something called them out. Something called them to leave, but they were just settled in a place where they weren't meant to settle. See, and maybe that connects with some of you today. You're just settled right where you're at. See, Abram and his family had settled and they were content with everything the way it was. And there's something interesting because in Joshua 24, verse 2, it tells us a little bit about their lives. And it says this, it gives us more background into Abram's spiritual state and his family's spiritual state. As they knew the true God, they had rejected him because here's what it says. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. They served other gods. They served other gods. And so they knew about the one true God, but they had settled and they start to worship other gods. They, they started to settle in with the community around. There was nothing distinct about them. 
Timothy Keller says this. He says, first of all, the word Terra means moon. Ur of the Chaldeans was a center of lunar worship. The true family, the family that was supposed to be preserving the last family, knowing who God is and knowing who created the world and knowing what we are built for, the last family who knew anything about God has gone over to idol worship. This text tells us there is no foreseeable future. There is no human power to invent a future. The human race and human history have just hit a dead end. It's over. And then God speaks and there's hope again. Do you see the tension that's in this text? Do you see why we have to start in Genesis chapter 11? Because we have to feel the reality that this is a spiritual dead end unless God does something. That's why I'm telling you today, Abram's not the hero. See, humanity had no hope unless God intervened. And it's in spiritual desperation that the call comes. The call of God. And so how does the call of God break through into our lives, just like it did with Abram? Well, we see three parts to the call. And it's in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. And so we're going to break that down. But I'm going to give you all three points up front. Here's what they are. Relational, number one. Risky, number two. And received, number three. Relational, risky, and received. The first one, relational. Look at uh, verse one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram. The Lord said to Abram. See, Abram, his whole life, had probably heard of God. He, he knew about God, but he'd never experienced God. He never experienced God. You know, it's, it's the same thing. It happens all the time. People, you know, you grow up in church. You kind of hear about Jesus. You hear about God. You hear about all these things, but you've never experienced them before. And what we find is, you know, that God is a God who speaks. See, that's the relational part that we're talking about here. What what does Abram find out about the the one true God from the scriptures? We find out this, that he, first off, he finds out that God is one. The Lord. It's not the Lord's or or multiple gods. It's, It's the Lord. See, at that point, his family had settled. They were worshiping other gods. But this God speaks, and and he's one. The second part about this God is this, that he initiates. God pursued him. It it doesn't say that Abram pursued God. It doesn't say that he was doing anything to pursue God, but that God pursued him. See, an interesting thing is, as I talk to some of you, even today, you, you say, I don't know what brought me here today, right? I, I've heard people say, man, it feels like something keeps drawing me in. Here's the thing. I know that God is living and active and pursues us and initiates and draws us in when we didn't even realize it. Oz Guinness, again, he says this, we cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot satisfy God without God, which is another way of saying that our seeking will always fall short unless God's grace initiates the search and unless God's call draws us to him and completes the search. There's a God who initiates and and who comes after us. 
when we weren't even looking for him. And lastly, he speaks. Derek Kidner says this about this text. He says, the history of redemption, like that of creation, begins with God speaking. As God is coming in, as God's speaking into his life, there's something new that's happening. There's a new beginning for Abram. Because this is the Lord said, and Abram was now experiencing the God who speaks. Some of us today, we, we might have come in here today and we say, well, maybe I'm, I'm this or that. I, I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't know who God is. God doesn't, he, he's just kind of like that clockmaker out there. I'm deist, you know, deist in the way that I view things. He just is this impersonal creator, doesn't really speak to us. We can't really know him. But that's not the God of the Bible. I want you to know that today he's relational and he comes very near to us. So much so that it even says in the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Right? What is that? The relationship of God. And so today, if you're confused or you're wondering who God is and who the God of the Bible is, first off, he is relational. He is relational. I love it. Uh, my friend Bella, she, she's been coming to the church uh, from the very beginning. And one of the things she told me, she, she said, um, you know, I grew up in church. I've served. She says, I never knew God was like this. I never knew God was like this. That's the God of the Bible. Right? That's experiencing him, so it's relational. Number two, it's this, it's risky. Look at verses um, one and two. The second part of verse one, it says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So this, this first part, it says go. In the original, uh, the, the King James Version, it says this. It's, it's two words here. And so it actually translates it uh, more accurately in the King James because here's what it says. It says, get thee out. Get thee out. It's saying, get yourself out. Why? This was a culture and a people that were so wrapped up in what their family was doing. Right? They were so wrapped up in the, the, the culture of, okay, community and, and people. We don't understand that because we live in such an isolated, individualistic culture. But they were so wrapped up in their family and family decisions. And so... Abram, at this point, was probably looking around and saying, well, my dad's staying. Um, Lot staying. Other, other family members are just kind of settling here. And so, I'm okay. But God is now speaking to him, and he says, okay, I'm coming to you. Abram, get yourself out. What this is, is no longer depending on the things around him anymore, the, the things that would hold him back anymore, but saying, okay, I've got to make a decision about this. Commentary in the book of Genesis by John Walton, he says this, he says, Abraham must decide whether to abandon his land in favor of the land Yahweh offers or God offers. He must decide whether to abandon what family he still has in favor of the family Yahweh promises against all logic. 
You must decide whether to set aside his blessing, his inheritance for the inheritance. Yahweh, God, describes the initiative offers much, but its cost is significant. That's why I say it's risky. It's risky. Because some of you today, you say, well, if, if I told my friends that I was a Christian, if I told my friends that I believed in God, you don't understand what, how much feedback I would get from that. How much pushback I would get from that if, if I said that I believed and, and I trusted and I had faith. See, the call of God is very risky in nature. It will put you out of your comfort zone. See, imagine growing up one way of life and then being asked to leave it all. This is what's on the line for Abraham. As as he's being called here, it's risky. Again, Kidner calls it the, the gradual disentanglement from country, kindred, and father's house. It's the gradual disentanglement of it. There are things that we put our trust in and our hope in where we say, this is what's going to make my life worthwhile. This is what is going to make my life worthwhile. And I remember the day when we, uh, me and my wife, came out to San Diego, living on the East Coast, and saying, okay, I I think God's calling us to plant a church. And I got a call from a friend. He's like, hey, we need more churches in San Diego. Would you consider planting a church here? I remember my first response was, nope. I'm good. You know, like, I'm good. We're, set, we, we're settled. You know, I've got kids. Uh, we're okay. And then I remember me and my wife coming out and, and saying, okay, I think we're supposed to come here. And I remember it was this scripture. It was this scripture right here that the pastor at the church I was serving in at the time preached. And I sat through it four times. Four times, not one time, four times. It was like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. And I remember the day that my wife sent me the text and said, we need to make a decision. And so I went to the guy that was my superior and said, "Um, I'm turning in my resignation. I'm here as long as you need me to make sure that it's a healthy transition but I'd been talking to him that there's maybe a potential that I was going to go. And it was scary because he says, well, I had to go through this assessment where they, they assess you to see if you're not crazy. You know, as a church planter, you're not just going out there like some crazy person. And uh, it was a good thing. But I hadn't gone through that yet. And he said, um, what if you don't pass? I said, I don't know. But I know we're supposed to go. I know we're supposed to go. And so it was very risky. And that's the thing, that when God comes into your life, he doesn't come in as a consultant. He comes in as your Lord. And that's what he's doing in Abram's life. He didn't come in as Abram's consultant saying, hey, I think this would be a great move for you if you did this. Awesome future out there. Great thing for you. Because here's the thing. He just says go. He doesn't tell him where. So when Abram, in this, you know, he's going he's gonna to ask, he's gonna, okay, where am I supposed to go? This is how God t- comes back to him. I'll tell you later. 
I'll tell you later. And so, and so that's, that's what's happening here in Abram's life. And that's why it's risky. Because many times we want to ask the question, okay, God, how's it going to happen? Where am, I, what, what's, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And he just says, I'll tell you later, but you got to trust me. It's risky. Lastly, it's received. Look at verses two and three. Here's what he says. He tells Abram to go, but then he says this. He says, I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do we see in this text? There's two parts. First part is this. It's all about God, not about Abram. <laughs> it's all about God, not, not about Abram. You see, many times we want our lives to be all about me, but what we see is that it's God over me. Look at how many times God says, I will. I will. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless. I will curse. This is where the idea of our purpose must start. It's understanding that we're not the God of our lives. We're not in control of our lives. That I'm under his authority. Again, he's not my consultant. He's my Lord. The Lord. That's where it must start. See, God defines and shapes our meaning in our lives. Do you believe that? See, Abraham must embrace that his life is about God and not about him. And here's the hard part. He had a lot of stuff. He had plenty of opportunity to stay in the place he was at, and he could have settled right there. But what we find out is that Abram received and embraced that his life wasn't about him. It was about God. So that's the first part. The second part is this. It's, it's received. It's not earned. Do you see that Abram's call is purely an act of grace? It's purely an act of grace. Like we've talked about before, none of the people that you're going to see in the scriptures are going to be the hero. Right? As you've been looking through the book of Genesis and reading and, and looking at all these stories, again, you will be sorely disappointed if you see these people as the hero of the story. Because think about this. Where was Abram at? What was he doing? Abram was worshiping false gods, and he had settled. See, for some of us today, we've written off the idea that God could meet us where we're at, that God could love us where I'm at. All of these things... But do you see that the person that is lifted up throughout the scriptures as a person of faith is somebody who's just broken and messed up and that God met him right there with an undeserved love, kindness, and mercy? See, all he had was grace and a call. Everything Abraham had was received and not earned. See, how many times do we think that our relationship with God is anything more than grace? But it's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. 
It's about what God can do. It's about what God has done. See, to appreciate grace, we have to be shown how messed up we are, how sinful we are, how far off we are. And when we see that, when we see the gap between us and God and that he's pursuing us and then saying, there's no way that I could be ever reach a God like this, the depths of where we are, but that God has reached down to us and loved us, that's when we understand what the call really means and that it can only be received and not earned. See, ultimately, how was Abraham able to embrace such a risky call? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 tells us something amazing. Here's what it says in, in verse 8 of Galatians 3. It says, and the scripture, when it talks about the scripture, it's talking about the Hebrew scripture because at that point they didn't have the Bible like us, right? Galatians, Paul says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That right there should blow your mind. It's basically, God preached the gospel to Abraham. You go to Galatians, you go all the way back to Genesis. What is happening here? God is preaching good news to Abraham. You know who's a better preacher than anybody that has ever watched? God. Like God is the one that's better at preaching the gospel than anybody. And God comes to Abraham, preaches good news to him, tells him, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Why? How? Well, you keep going in Galatians 3. Here's what it says in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Remember that part where it said this? It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is blessing? What is the greatest blessing that we could ever have? See, there are some people that are preaching, they say, oh, well, it's just the material things, the possessions that you can have in this life. It's all the good stuff, right? No, that's not it. Real blessing, defined and shaped by God, here's what it is. It's having a relationship with God. See, what, what, is, what is it that, that Christ himself would be cursed? As we talked through the book of Genesis, we've seen that we deserved the curse. Right? None of us have lived righteously. None of us have done any, anything to appease God and, and what he could do for us. But it's that God himself comes in the person of Jesus Christ, and is cursed for us, cursed to the point where he's hung on a tree, the cross. 
It's so that you and I could know the true blessing of knowing and having a relationship with God. Jesus became a curse on our behalf so that we can receive and become a blessing because we have true blessing from him. So let's take this down to our life, where we're at right now. You might be asking yourself, well, how can I live out God's call for my life? The first one is this. Knowing that, knowing what God has done, seek Jesus before seeking purpose. Seek Jesus before seeking purpose. You know, I was, I was struggling during that time of wrestling whether we were supposed to come plant a church, not all these things in my life. Why am I here? Here's the thing I would always ask. I, mean, I was just at that point where I was asking, why am I here? What's my purpose? And when I was in that state, because some of you might be there right now, I felt like I was wandering. I felt like I was searching. I felt lost. And then I came across the scripture in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and here's what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And here's the thing. For me, this verse realigned me. It realigned me. For me, I had it wrong. You see, I, I was searching for meaning before I was searching for God. I was looking to meaning to fulfill my life more than I was looking to God to fulfill my life. See, it wasn't going to be doing anything for God that was really going to fulfill me. But it was going to be knowing and resting that God loved me right where I was at before I did anything. See, do you realize that the most important calling in your life is this, that you are a child of God? As you receive Christ and what he's done for you, that it's that you are a child of God. There will be things on a daily basis that will try to take you away from that very idea. There will be fears and challenges and, and things that you're going to face at work or in life that, that are going to try to take you from this idea that you are a child of God. Because what we talked about last week is the idea that you're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, and so you have innate value and worth. Right? We talked about how violent our culture is. How many people, again, and I just read it time and time again, who are ready to take their lives. You're made in the image of God. But when you receive there, there's something different that happens. There's a, there's a switch. Because it's not just you're made in the image of God, but when you receive Christ, you become a child of God. You become a child of God. And so my question is, do you know that you're a child? Do you believe that you're a child of God? The only way that you can is when you see the Son of God going to the cross for your sins, dying for you, and loving you, in that way, as he rises from the dead, that you're his. And so seek Jesus before seeking purpose because today, that's the most important thing. Second is this, personally receive God's call. See, Abraham had to make a decision to obey. Get thee out. He trusted God. 
And so what is it today that's going to make you say, okay, this is me personally receiving God's call for my life. Hebrews 11.8 says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Again, for you to follow God's calling in your life, it's first going to be trusting that you're a child of God, and that's the most important thing. Secondly, now it's, okay, going out into the world, knowing that you're not going to have all the answers. And you're not going to get all the answers. What, 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 what am I supposed to do? Where, 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 where am I supposed to go? Like all these things. Personally receive his call and know that he loves you right where you're at. And that, again, it's part of faith. It's part of faith. Lastly, you are blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse two. He says, I will bless you and make you a great name great, your name great, so that you will be a blessing. You'll be a blessing. Here's the thing. We are only blessed so that we can be a blessing. What does that mean? It takes the focus off of me, off of me, and puts it onto others so that I can help and encourage and bless other people because my life is no longer about me. You know, how many times do we just get so wrapped up in ourselves? But God says, no, it, the blessing comes when you know me you come into a relationship with me and it's so that you will be a blessing. You want to know what purpose is? It's being a blessing. That's what it is. And so wherever you're at, going and, and being a blessing. See, blessing is whatever he has put in your hands and knowing that it ultimately comes from God. It's his grace and it's for his kingdom. When God calls you, he will, here's, the, here's the gospel reminder. Here's the gospel reminder. When God calls you, he will never ask more of you than he asked of his own son, Jesus. He will never ask more of you than he asked of his own son, Jesus. You say, man, man my life is really hard right now. You don't understand. But here's the good news. That he loves you so much, he would never ask more of you than he asked of his own son, Jesus. The only reason that the, the call, a calling, a purpose, any of these things are available to us is because of Jesus. And you ask, well, what's God's will for my life? It's to know him. It's to love him. It's to be in relationship with him. And it's to know that your life is going to be better than you could have ever made it on your own. Because as I stand here today, almost 20 years in to being a Christian, and I look at my life when I was 16 years old, I could have never looked at my life and said, man, this is the things I would have been able to do or, or gone or, or anything like that. It's so much better than what I would have been able to do with my life. See, that's the thing that God does in our lives. The life of a Christian is not built on what we do or, or have done, but based on everything that Jesus has done for us. It's pure grace. 
See, some of you may think that you're disqualified because of your life. You're looking too much at yourself. Looking too much at yourself and not enough at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done for you. He was relational. You want to know the thing that separates Christianity from everything else in the world, every other religion in the world, is because we believe that in a God that's relational. What is the incarnation? That God became man, became one of us. He was relational in a way that scholars of other faiths and everything, they said, that's impossible. It's impossible. But what we see is that 2,000 years ago, historically, Jesus walked the earth and was relational. You want to know who Jesus is? Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. Are you confused about who God is? Look at Christ. It's relational. Here's the other thing. He was asked to do, he was asked to do something far more risky. See, Abraham, he, he was asked to leave his country, his family. He was asked to leave everything, but not like Jesus. Because what we see is that Jesus left heaven, came to earth. He left the riches of heaven to live a life of poverty. He was born in a in a shack. The king of all creation was born in a shack. Far more risky. He gave his own life. And here's the thing. He was rejected so that you could be received. He was rejected so that you could be received. So as you see Jesus and place your faith in him, you'll be able to step in faith just like Abraham did into God's call, whatever that is for your life. But the most important one is first knowing that as you receive Christ, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Abraham. We thank you for just the the message that it communicates that, again, Abraham did not have it all together in any way. But it was you, God, who pursued him and, and, and sought after him. And so you are the hero of the story. And I pray that today, because of your grace, God, we will see that in our own lives. We'll see that you're pursuing us, that you love us, and that you're calling us to the most important thing. First off is to know you and love you and be um, a child of God. So if there are people here today that don't know that love, I pray that they find it today in Christ. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.